had shattered my femur and I was crying. I, I was screaming. Finally, I said, Lord, I know that you can save me, but if you don't, then thank you. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking today in good faith with Pastor Michael Hale and his wife, Denise. Thank you both for being here today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having us. You have a ministry right now in what I think is the most beautiful little church in the town of American <laughs> Fork, Utah. And it's since the 1880s, if I understand right, it's yes. continually been used as a church. Yeah. Five missionaries came out in the 1880s and they built the church. So they were pilgrims, and it was the first Protestant church in Utah County, mm. the first of their kind. And just the five folks who moved here, they built it themselves. You attended that church as a boy. Yes. Not knowing you'd be back as a pastor someday. Yes. So we'll, we'll get to have that. Imagined but, it. <laughs> I wonder if I could ask each of you just to tell me a little bit about your journey of faith and belief. And maybe, Denise, if you'd start just kind of where you're from, and did you grow up in church? Yeah, I did. I was born and raised in a Christian family, so they took me to church on Sundays. It was a little Reformed church, as there are many of that in the Netherlands. So I grew up loving the Lord, really, not knowing who the Lord was, not really knowing who I was loving, but I knew I was being loved a lot. It was this innate feeling and that kept me going even though some kids get distracted I was no exception of course but <laughs> it kept me going because I felt at peace at church but my church journey took very difficult sometimes twists and turns sometimes I had different opinions or I had different ideas and I want to test them with older people and as I was of course a young kid they'd say you have a lot to learn <laughs> that's why I was asking questions so that was actually the point my teenage years that I felt a little uncomfortable in that church because I started asking questions I was very much interested in the faith in who God was maybe I just asked questions that were either too difficult or uncomfortable because they kept telling me you still have to grow a lot and the funny thing is, is that our pastor loved it. He loved to ponder things with me and explain things to this 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl that was just asking questions. Good for him. And during my journey, I've seen many churches from the inside, and I've been to Reformed ones, Evangelical ones, Pentecostal ones, and I love them all the same. I really learned to look across and over church walls. So denominations that, really don't nice mean, mean too much to me, really. <laughs> I, I just think we're all Christians. We all love Jesus. We all love our Lord. So, And there's some beauty in every denomination. Actually, my faith journey also brought me here in the States. But that's in a story in itself because well, okay. that's where Mike comes into picture. <laughs> okay, this yeah. is where we say, meanwhile... Back yeah. in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Pleasant Grove, Utah. Yes, sir. <laughs> How did you grow up? I grew up going to church once a week. I grew up as the only non-Mormon that I knew of in my school. Uh, there were a couple atheists or a couple Jack Mormons, but there wasn't a big community. 
And I tried to fit in. I would go to Boy Scouts and I would go to Young Men's and I'd try to fit in. As a teenager, you're trying to find your identity. Yeah. I was trying to fit in with my friends and I couldn't. I didn't have the right label. No matter how hard I tried, there were comments. You can edit this out if you want to. But just little <laughs> comments like, you aren't a Mormon, what? Do you worship rocks or what What are you? They didn't know what I was. I was so peculiar. Mike, I had a dream and the world was ending and everyone lived but you. You died because you aren't Mormon. And it just these peculiar comments. And I just thought, what am I? I don't fit in. I go to church once a week. I hear about Jesus. I hear the stories. I hear who he is. And he's an amazing person. But right now, I don't fit in. There's people who are saying you're not the right kind of Christian. I just thought if this is church, if this is what Jesus has left us on earth, I don't want to be a part of it. I can't fit in. So I strayed. I walked away from God. In Utah, there's the predominantly Mormon culture in Utah County, 70%. And there's a subculture that's also relatively dominant. And that's this rebellious culture, this group that says, we can't do it. We can't live up to it. We can't meet the standards. We're just going to jump off a ledge. And there's a large party scene and there's a lot of consumption of drugs and prescriptions and alcohol. And there's this small group that just says, we're done with it. We, we can't meet mm. the standards. And that was the group that I went to. That was the only other group there was. I walked on that trail for many years. It was so empty. It was completely empty. The friends that I had didn't really care about me. It was all selfish. It was all about how good we can make ourselves feel. It was hollow. And for me, my personality is when I do something, I put my whole heart into it. So I put my whole heart <laughs> into running a race to see who could ruin their life the most. And I was winning. After several years of that, I just said, I can't do this. I cannot do this anymore. It's deceitful. I'm harming my parents. This is not okay. So it, as an attempt to make it up to them, I excelled in school. I did the distance education program. So yeah. I finished high school with my associates. And it was a way of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the trouble I've caused you. Sorry for all the pain. And it was also my new life's motive. I had looked at life and said, what do people live for? And people live to have fun. They live to party. They live to feel good. And people also live for success and prosperity and accomplishments. That became my new life direction. I said, okay, the one path, it's deceitful and it's harmful. So I'm going to go on this other path and I'm going to excel and I'm going to work hard. So I went to the U and I was planning to have my master's at 22 I did Honor Society and National Society of Leadership and Success and 4.0s and Dean's List and, and working three part-time jobs. And I just went all out, as I do, in this road to success. Did it feel any better? No, it did not. It was just as empty. Mm. And six months into that, I met Christians. They were from down south, and they were passionate, and they were— we would stay up all night talking about Jesus, and I'd never seen anything like it. They were absolutely in love. I thought, what are you? I've never seen anything like this. And they were true friends, and they would 
go out of their way to show care and affection to a kid who is lost, still trying to find his identity, mm. still looking at prosperity, looking at objects or performance to satisfy himself. And they just showed me so much love. The more I got to know them, we would go on road trips during spring break and everything. It was a Bible study all the time and praying in the car and only Christian music. They're sharing their stories and they said, we want to share our testimonies. And I thought, okay. And they were sharing their stories and they were sharing about times that they had struggled and times they had been arrested and times that God miraculously intervened and dropped the case. And I just thought, wow. These kids were cool once too. <laughs> I wonder what <laughs> happened to them. And but but as I spent time with them, they had this love that I had never seen and and I wanted it. It was this personal relationship with Jesus and and he was their best friend and they loved him. And I knew that it was God that made them different. I knew it was God that had changed them. I thought that's what I need. So I started reading my Bible every day and I started praying more. And in my mind, I said, I'm going to implement God into my life. That's what a good, good Christian does. He implements more of God, more good things, more good deeds into his life. So I started implementing that. I learned that that was the wrong way of doing it. I learned that it's not about implementing God into our lives because that doesn't satisfy us either. It's about giving God everything. It's that you don't implement him into your life. It's that he's Lord of your life, that you let him invade everything, every sphere of your life, that all of it's about him. And it's not about school and work and homework. So and he, he's jobs. not just one of your hobbies. Yes. Yeah. He's everything. You look at what your life consists of and you see, okay, I work, I work often. I study, study often. For some people, they're going to school. For some people, they are spending time with friends. For some people, it's spending time with family. Those are all good things. Those are things we need to strive for. But if those are at the center, if those are taking up most of your time and thought, then it's going to be exhausting. Those things will fall short. I had to learn this process, as I'm sure all of us do, that Jesus is Lord. What a Lord was or a king was, a Lord was someone that people would come to and say, I will stand by your side. I devote my life to you. I devote my sword to you. I will stand by you. I will work for you. I give you everything. You just call and I, I will be there. And that's what it means to have him as Lord. And he's the center and his goodness and his love permeate everything. It's not just bringing him in or making things more disciplined, but it's him taking over. But you did have or were given a moment you were given a chance to maybe choose a different path. As I was seeking God, trying to implement him into my life, I got into an accident. I was in the backcountry of Brighton Ski Resort and I had smashed into a boulder, shattered my femur. My sister and I were in the backcountry and I was crying and crying. I, I was screaming and she grabbed me and she said, you need to calm down, calm down, calm down. And I couldn't stop crying. And finally, I, I muttered this short prayer and I said, Lord, I know that you can save me, but if you don't, then thank you. Thank you for all you've given me. I felt like I was dying. It was so much pain. And that was just the last things I need to say to him. Lord, I know that you can save me, but if you don't, then thank you. 
And within 30 seconds of saying that prayer, maybe a minute, two ski patrol came skiing down the mountain. They were there on their break, and they were there to have fun. They were there to answer my prayer. They were there out of God's goodness. Because they saw me, they had to help me. And so first thing they did was cut off my pants, and they saw my my femur just hanging there. Uh, the bone was disconnected from my body, and it was about to bulge out. The bone was about to protrude out of the side. As soon as they saw that, they said, okay, Mike, there are two main arteries that go in your leg past your femur. And if either of those are cut in any way whatsoever, you will bleed to death within the next five to 10 minutes. And so here I am on this mountain. I think I'm dying. <laughs> Thanks for the so encouragement. So much pain. And then the medics tell me, yeah, you're probably going to die in the next five to 10 minutes. Later in the hospital, I did survive. I was researching Spoiler it. alert. And yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. I was researching it because God had kept those arteries safe. And I was curious. And I found that it takes 1,800 pounds of pressure per square inch to break your bone and three pounds of pressure per square inch to break your artery. Hmm. So 1,800 pounds had torn up my leg and had not only completely dislodged the bone, but also damaged the muscle and the tendons and the ligaments. But not even three of those 1,800 pounds touched the artery. I just was in awe. Just, God, you must have. You must have been holding them. You must have protected me. God, you are good. You are faithful. As I was on the mountain, I couldn't think any thoughts like that. All I could think was, this is awful. I'm in pain. (laughs) Help me. Help me. Help me. I was screaming. I was crying. The ski patrol called for backup. We're in the backcountry, so they needed to get people there with extra equipment to get me down. First, I went from screaming to just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And earlier that day, I had read a scripture that said he would be my strength that I could call out on his name and that he would help me. All I could do was say his name. Every time I said it, the pain just decreased. I just felt like I can live through this. I can live through this. And the ski patrol thought it was the funniest thing. And they they told my sister, usually, you know, the femur bone is the most painful bone you can break. It's the hardest bone to break too. But usually if people break it, they can't stop howling and screaming. And they said, but all your brother can do is say Jesus. <laughs> and they thought it was so funny. But it was all I could do. And as I was there, there was a black tunnel. It was fading in and out. I was in his arms. I don't know how to explain that. But I felt like he was holding me. I was there on the mountain, but I wasn't. And he was holding me. And every time I said his name, he gave me comfort. All I remember seeing, I didn't see his face, but I, I saw his eyes. And they were eyes of flames. They're just flaming. I couldn't understand it. But months later, I was sharing with my friend about what I'd seen. And he said, well, of course they were eyes of flames. Have you never read the book of Revelations? He's like, that's what it says. He says, Jesus has eyes of flames. And I thought, wow. So I must have seen him. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that was in the Bible, but I was seeing it. And he was holding me and he's comforting me. They were penetrating. You rarely see something that marks itself that deeply in your in your thoughts. Yeah. And that I can still see it when I close my eyes. I can still feel the pain if I reflect on it too much. But those eyes, eyes of flame, God brought me into Bible verses in the Psalm that said, You're the apple of my eye. 
that we're at the center of those flames and he's looking at us. And flames in the Bible mean the Holy Spirit. So if we are his, we're at the center of his anointing. We're covered by his spirit. We're enveloped in it, engulfed in it. This beautiful spirit that never relents. You did from that moment not just have gratitude, but apparently decided to show it by going out and serving in different ways, which actually yeah. kind of took you to China, to Africa, other places. Yeah. Can you, in a nutshell, tell me what you were doing there? What brought me there, in a nutshell, was realizing I should be dead and that God saved my life. I didn't deserve it. He should not have saved me. I was unworthy. I was selfish, yet he did. Just reflecting on that in the hospital, realizing, wow, God, you gave me life the first time, and I spent it on myself, and yet you still loved me enough to save me and give me another chance. This one, Lord, is for you. Whatever you want, wherever you ask me, I will go. And God led me as I committed myself to him. Before I even knew what missions was really, God led me to these opportunities. It sounds like there are practical aspects like digging wells for water, but also spiritual aspects. Yeah. Does that mean preaching or starting congregations or serving a congregation? All of the above. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was discipling you, teaching you how to hear the Holy Spirit, how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and how to follow his guidance instead of your own. So letting God sculpt each day and determine what you do. You feel like that's what you took away from those experiences personally. Yes, that organization, that was what they taught. So it was, it was 12 weeks of training. That's class anywhere from 6 to 12 hours a day. And mm. You're digging into the scriptures and praying, and then you go and apply it for 12 weeks. And that was the focus there. That's what I, I felt. Whereas Operation Mobilization was you are sleeping in tents, you're showering with water bottles, you you have no restrooms. In Africa, no matter how many times we filtered the water, you would still get sick. You couldn't help but vomit, and it was harsh. We're just living with the people and living like the people. That one was more love your neighbor as yourself. It was really going out, and it was digging wells, and trusting that together we could disciple one another, even though we were young even though we weren't professionally trained, that we had the Holy Spirit. Just kind of like the age and the time of life of the original disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Actually. Denise, you weren't just sitting around all this time. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you met and what brought you together. You see that in his story, Christians made all the difference at the very beginning. They got him interested in Christianity. And similarly, Christians have kind of saved my life as well. We did Bible studies together. So I was doing Bible study with peers for the first time. Most of my life have been very lonely. I've been bullied as a child, and this is not a pathetic little story, but I know what loneliness means, and I know that God comes through in loneliness. These things helped me to process in the quiet, and I could therefore verbalize my feelings really well which was helpful in our contact because what happened is that those friends that were so dear to me, few of them, they went to China where they happened to end up in the same organization as Mike. Mm. So I had no clue Mike existed, but they did. And they sent me an email 
they told me, Denise, you've got to be in touch with this guy. He's a male version of you. And I said, <laughs> you know, first of all, I'm a little skeptical about that. Second of all, I'm finishing my master's. I've got my hands full and no, I'm not interested. <laughs> but they talked us into it. I was getting my master's in English at that point and I had been complaining because I had started teaching English instead of receiving education. I complained about a lack of English input. <laughs> to them so they said hey native speaker opportunity there and yeah I couldn't really come up with a counter argument so I thought <laughs> they, they've got a really good point there and they told him well just be pen pals you can do that and pen and pals seemed pretty harmless it seemed yeah. pretty harmless neither of us Evidently, thought anything it's of a, it it's a gateway activity too <laughs> Evidently, yes yes <laughs> I was always the person saying, I don't believe that relationships can be established through the internet. People are just faking it. And here I am. My relationship started through email. <laughs> but We evolved yeah. eventually to letters, letter letters. Yes, we did. Five months in, we hadn't even seen as much as a picture of each other because we had not anticipated it to turn into something more than a pen pal friendship. So five months in, I felt like, there was more going on than just pen pals and just friendship and just relating. I thought, wow, I think I'm falling in love with this person. I haven't even seen a picture of them. I didn't know what's happening. Not knowing that a similar reaction was happening on the other end of the line. We kind of kept our feelings hidden for the longest time. It, it wasn't until maybe eight months in, something like that, that we opened up about that part. But in those months of writing, we got to know each other's heart really well and our foundation in the faith and our foundation as a person. That foundation made all the difference because then you don't run off after your emotions, just like some people might feel love at first sight. We didn't have that happen. We had a very solid foundation. Yeah. We kind of knew each other. and. That was very meaningful and made all the difference because you had to think about the consequences. I'm living in Europe. He's from the States. There's a lot of other countries involved. He was first in China and later in Africa. So I thought, what am I going to do? This will have consequences. One of us has to move. And you don't want to cause necessary heartbreak or you don't want to jump off a ledge just like that hurting maybe the both of you. So a lot of prayer went into the development of the relationship. A lot of prayer and a lot of talking and flying back and forth. <laughs> yeah, the solid foundation building was very important to us. After a while, we discovered it was a match, but also I had to figure out if the life that he was called for was something I was called for. Because you knew he was training for or headed yes. for ministry. This was another test in which we had to say, okay, is God the Lord or are we? And that's because emotions are deceitful. And we are a generation that sees with their feelings and feels with their eyes. We are so led by our emotions and by what we feel. In this process, we had to say, okay, God, I don't want to, I don't want to trust my emotions because yes. they've led me astray 100% of the time. We want to serve you and we want to please you. Mm -hmm. And you are the Lord. And if he's the Lord, then he needs to be Lord of your emotions as well. I had to put it to the test, really. I knew that God was the master of my life ultimately and of his life ultimately. So if I wasn't called for this life, I would hold him back 
and maybe he would hold me back in whatever I was called to do. At that time, I was working as a full-time English teacher. For the first time in my life, I had quite a bunch of money to go on a vacation. And I was praying, God, what do you want me to do with my time? Because I had six weeks off in the summer and I wanted to spend it in the way that he saw fit, not me. I was praying and as I was praying, I had the word Moldova in my mind. Moldova, Moldova, Moldova. And I thought, what the heck is Moldova? (laughs) (laughs) So I started looking it up on the internet and it turned out to be the poorest country in all of Europe with 80% unemployment rate and very dire circumstances for the elderly, for the children. And I thought, this is not going to be a cruise trip (laughs) at all. (laughs) This is going to be a mission. So I uh, contacted a mission organization that could take me to Moldova. I was just serving at their base. That proved to be very meaningful. The first mission was also really roughing it. We built our own raft and we lived on it for two weeks. We rode down the river to find the villages that were the hardest to reach across the road because the road conditions are very bad in Moldova. We just rode our way down the river. And I thrived against all my expectations. I thrived in that situation of serving the others and not having much on me, with me. I only had a backpack, nothing more. I loved it. But loving it doesn't mean you're called to do something. (laughs) So I prayed and I thought, Lord, you have to show me that this is really what you want me to do. I want to submit my life to you. And all I got was quiet, which was very frustrating, quiet and By the end of that week, I started getting desperate because God might say no. And I thought that I had to prepare for the no. You love Mike with all your heart, but no, this is not my plan for you too. I was getting ready for the heartbreak. Then there was a debrief and the preacher started saying things about callings. And he said, some of you are calling to be teachers. Some of you are called to be missionaries. Some of you are called to be business people, investors. But with the word missionaries, I felt something stir inside and was weeping on the floor. I couldn't help myself. I was pressed on the floor weeping. And some other missionaries, they ran towards me, U.S. missionaries, <laughs> which is the irony of the story there. And they, they recognized what was happening and they prayed for me. It was a mixed feeling thing because at, at one hand I was relieved because I knew that I could continue my life with Mike. But also I knew that I would get out of my comfort zone. (laughs) Mm. So I've often been the fearful person and not really courageous, but I had to start being courageous from that point on. Something I'm sometimes still working on, being courageous. But do you go back to that moment sometimes like that to to say, I knew God was in this? Exactly. Yeah, It's, it's a milestone. It's something to come back to. Here I am in the U.S. That was a giant step. That was a leap of faith. But it's the best decision I could have made, you know, in the hands of God, holding his hand and now serving by his side. I feel I'm thriving again, serving people, even though because of my history, I'm not naturally a people person. I do feel like I thrive in serving situations. I wonder if I could ask you kind of a final question, maybe, which is now you're in this ministry Mm-hmm. pastoring a church in a congregation. Is it what you thought it was? Is it harder? Is it easier? Are there? There's no way to know ahead of time. I'm just curious about what it means to you and it just maybe if you could sum that up. Oh, yeah. It's a wonderful question. It's harder. 
I was under the impression that pastors, they get to read God's word and they get to pray for people continually. And and that's definitely a part of it. They get to counsel, they get to take care of others, they get to bring them meals, they get to go to the hospital and pray for the sick. There's all these things. But there's also a lot more. There's so much going on when you're caring for and serving with your whole heart. You're serving 50 people. It's not that large of a number, but there's a building that has to get taken care of, has to stay upright. And it's a very old building as well. It's not that large of a number, but for a lot of us, any number bigger than one is a stretch. Yes, that is very true. That's very true. It's just surprising how much goes into it, into maintaining the building, into maintaining relationships, into making sure not to offend others and making sure to respect them when they're all evaluating you and expecting you to live up to this standard. And there's meetings and there's teams and there's programs and there's events and there's just needs sometimes because people's lives continue and people's lives don't consider your schedule. (laughs) So you might have planned one thing and then something comes up and you have to prioritize. This person is important. We have to go see him. We have to go pray for him or be with them. Your schedule suffers ultimately, but (laughs) we're navigating that too. The number one task on your Mm -hmm. agenda each week is pray for the people, show them you love them, really be someone who carries them in prayer Mm. and dig into God's word so you can share what he teaches you throughout the week. That's always number one. And sometimes you go through and you're already working 50 hours that week and you haven't had time to do either of those things. And it's like, how... (laughs) How does this happen? So we, a couple of weeks ago, one of Denise's friends was saying, why does he keep working on his off days? And we said, well, off day, that's a relative term when you're a pastor. Yeah, that's a relative term when you're a pastor. There's no such thing as off days. Off days are after they've buried you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, God probably has something else in mind for you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no manual. There wasn't a manual for pastor's wives (laughs) or something or Uh a degree for pastor's wives. You kind of have to figure it out as you go. He has to figure out his role as a pastor. I have to figure out my role as his wife. That's very personal. I think that there isn't a missionary profile or there is... a serving profile, servant's profile. I think the best thing people can do is truly be themselves, stay true to themselves and the strengths that God has given them and work from those strengths, not trying to be someone they are not. Because I've tried that and it didn't work. (laughs) I tried to live up to standards that I thought applied to the pastor's wife. That was a mistake (laughs) because it burdened me. And right now I'm in the process of releasing that, knowing that I'm good enough the way I am, even though I had not prepared for this kind of life, even though God kind of swung me into this life. I'm good enough the way I am. And that's kind of the message someone has sent out to all the people that maybe struggle with finding their place in church or finding their place um, at the work floor or wherever it's very important to stay true to yourself. Yeah. And to know that God loves you exactly. totally and adores you totally and made you just as you are and can use you. Not just that, that you're designed for where you're at, that he equips the cold, but doesn't call the equips, but equips the cold. So you might feel like you don't have it all and you don't have what it takes, but 
if you're called to be somewhere, you do. And if God trusts you, so should you. Speaking with Pastor Michael Hale and with Denise Hale, thank you both for speaking with us today in good faith. It's a privilege. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear a panel of listeners discuss the ideas presented by our guests, Pastor Michael and Denise Hale. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. Have you had a turning point where you decided to let go and let God be in charge of your life? Are you supportive of people who believe differently than you? And finally, have you learned to be grateful even when things don't turn out the way you had hoped? We invited a group of people to listen to our guests and then respond. Pastor Mike Imperial is dad to three adult children, grandpa to one grandchild so far. He loves music, plays guitar, and loves choral conducting. Ralph Tobias is a proud Easterner and colonial at heart. Teresa Raymond is the closed captioning coordinator for BYU Broadcasting. She loves her family, reading, and researching strange facts on Google. Sage Smiley is a champion multitasking college student who enjoys Arabic literature, chemistry labs, and journalism. She always carries an emergency cucumber. You know, there's something that Denise said toward the beginning that really resonated with me when she said she didn't really know who God was, but she knew that she was loved. And as a boy, for me, it was the same way. I, you know, mom would send us to Bible school in the summertime and I'd go to church on Sundays. But I really didn't know who this figure was, but because of the challenges in my family, the divorce of my parents and the different things that we experienced as children, though, and I just felt I was loved. I felt like there was something protecting me and helping me to deal with these challenges. That really resonated with me as well. (laughs) I have the story that I sometimes tell. When I was little, I was like a latchkey kid. That was like a new thing then was to be a latchkey kid. I had to get into the house and my mom was gone. She had left me a key in the mailbox, but I was really short and I couldn't quite reach it. And so I'm like, I tried to apply the lessons that I had learned, you know, in church on Sunday about exercising faith and and Mm -hmm. prayer. And so I prayed, you know, I was behind this little rhododendron bush, so I wasn't being like a Pharisee. (laughs) Anyway, I was a funny child. So I prayed and asked Heavenly Father to help me. And I had looked all over to try to find something that I could stand on to reach the key. And I had found nothing. But after I said this prayer, I had this impression, go towards the street. There was obviously nothing near the street. It, I mean, it was like it was grass and a tree trunk. That's it. But I was obedient. And I went to the towards the road and this truck drove by full of flattened cardboard, but one small little box completely put together fell out of the truck. And I ran and I got that box and I put it under the mailbox and it was just right for me to reach that key and I was able to get into the house. And I I kept that box for a long time because for me, it was a manifestation of Heavenly Father loving me and caring about me. And, you know, even though I was just this little person who couldn't get into her house, he found a way to help me. And so that's what I thought of when Denise talked about that. It was, it was yeah. a neat feeling. <laughs> you know, t- uh, Teresa and Ralph, uh, I had the opposite ex- experience. You know, when I hear that story, uh, I'm jealous because when I, was, when I was young, I think I knew sort of who God was. 
But I also thought that he didn't love me, that God was always angry with me. It's kind of like when I hear someone like Denise say that, I just, I just say, well, that is, so, that is so wonderful for you, I, wonderful for you. I'm so glad for that. And then I, I play back and I wonder, man, I wish I had had that when I was little. But we all have our own journeys. That's what this uh, program really is about, is to talk about the switchbacks and changes in life that shape us uh, and, then, and bring us to a, a faith perspective. I totally agree with that. The first thing that I wrote down was that I knew, Denise said that I knew that I was being loved a lot, even if she didn't necessarily know God. And when I say I really relate to that, I, I relate to Ralph and Teresa's comments that I feel like I had experiences when I was younger that helped me see that God loved me, that there was a God, there was some presence. And I feel like as I've gone throughout my life, that has kind of expanded to understanding that most people, regardless of how they feel about religion or organized religion, have some experience with feeling love or feeling peace in situations where that might not be the logical way that things should have gone, that they should have been stuck outside of their house or that they should have not felt like they were seen. But I always seek out those experiences. I love hearing about people's experiences with just this understanding that they feel, whether that's from God or from whatever other understanding people have of a presence that cares about them in the world. I put that together, you know, just, just feeling loved with uh, what Pastor Mike Hale said about when he first met some other Christian friends that were so different from his previous experiences in life, you know, with friends, supposed friends. You know, he said he'd never seen anything like this. That's more like my experience when I was in college. You know, it, it's – I saw – met friends who had a vibrant faith – and they loved – they cared about me. I mean they hung out. We hung out. We you know, played, played sports and did music and lots of things. And, but it was a real genuine – a genuine love there. So I think when people realize how much God loves us and then when it starts getting communicated between you know, person to person, friend to friend, it just explodes. It just grows. And, it's, and I, said, I said the same thing. I, I want this. How, how, do, how do you get this thing? You know? And uh, that was my experience Probably maybe around the same time that uh, Pastor Michael was experiencing it in life. At the end of the day, I think you agree relationships are what matter most yeah. and that make the biggest difference in all of our lives. You mentioned about friends and and true friends and the difference they make in your life. And for me, I had a lot of friends in school. I, I'm small. I'm skinny. I made the decision to make a friend in every group, you know, the athletes, the brainiacs, all these guys, because I figured – if I was going to get picked on, somebody in their group would say, oh, he's okay, he's, okay. he's cool, and, and I'd be safe. Hmm. So I had a lot of friends in school, but Sunday was the only time that I got to see my best friends. And they were only my best friends because they looked at me as you know, not a member of their faith. I, I don't think that really made a difference, but that they saw the struggles I had with my family uh, environment. And it didn't make a difference to them. You know, they had family. I was one of, I think, the only family of the kids I grew up with. And I grew up uh, in a town called Reading, Pennsylvania. I think I was the only one in our group whose parents were divorced or separated and whose home the police regularly visited. It didn't make a difference to them. They loved me no matter what. They loved me who, for who I 
who I am. And that really helped me to establish an understanding of what a true friend is. I never necessarily felt that I had that connection to church, which I think is why I also really related to something else Denise mentioned, which was that she didn't feel like there was a right kind of Christian. Mm -hmm. I really felt that because I, throughout my life, have really felt like I could even expand that to other religions. I have kind of appropriated this idea, and I'm honestly not quite sure where I heard it, but that good things come from God. And I think that whatever people's conception of God is, I feel like I've noticed that throughout my life, that people who have faith or belief or understanding or desire to know more about the way the universe works and have that desire to help people and go and serve people like Pastor Hale and his wife do, that brings a connection that you don't you don't have to be of the same religion with people, I think, to feel that love right. and feel that desire to know more about the world or the the unseen things that people have faith in. I think that what really helped me in my own personal faith journey was seeing people that were good, that were not necessarily of the same faith as me and understanding that there's something out there that motivates humans to be better, whatever that is, that that's positive and that people find their way along that path in ways that are different than I find my way along that path, but that doesn't mean that it's not good. At the end of the day, I don't think God cares what church you belong to as far as his love for you. Mm -hmm. he, he loves everybody the same. It doesn't matter who you are, what religion, whether you believe in you know, uh, Muhammad or Christ or whatever it is. I, I definitely agree with you. You found that within your church community, and I found that in other church communities that weren't my own and that we have all have, whether it's from our own church community or from another community, this shared experience of faith and understanding and seeking for more and seeking for opportunities to help other people. So it's interesting hearing Ralph and Sage, you guys talk, because my experience was that I didn't connect with the people at church on Sunday. I connected with the people more like Sage that were outside of my faith community. And I, because I was just an odd duck and I just didn't fit the normal mold, I guess. And, and so those were my good friends. But I also got a lot of ribbing about what I believed and all kinds <laughs> of crazy theories. They, they had fun with me, but they were the people who cared for me. But <laughs> well, that's, that, that's, that's something that most people really long for. You know, we long for these things. I mean, um, Pastor Hale was, you know, talking about he was on the, the, the old track of, of, of deceitful living and dealing with all the junk in the world and to discover that there is another way with friends and with faith is a turning point. You know, it's just a turning point for, for us and for others. But it's hard. I was very impressed by both Denise and Pastor Hale about the depth of thought and struggle to, you know, not only discover God's love for them, but to then express it in some way. Is this what God wants me to do? Um, I'd like to do this, but if it doesn't work out, I'm going to thank God anyway for his love and gifts. And I also want to say to Pastor Mike, when they asked, you know, is this ministry what you thought it was? And he said, well, it's harder. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I've been a pastor for 34 years, and it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Peop it's hard to love people. You know, even even close friends and family members. I mean, because we we need uh, we need that affirmation from each other. But sometimes it's hard to receive, and it's even sometimes hard to give in whatever 
mission or ministry some or, or lifestyle someone is doing in their in their faith it's a challenge whether it's receiving or giving love you have to open up yourself you have to make yourself vulnerable and i think that's what you're talking about yeah. and you said a moment ago about uh, what pastor uh, hale said about you know that he had that bad choices he was making in his life that made me think of the fact that we should never give up on our children because you never know what role the Lord is playing in their life. You never know. You know, you could see your child making terrible choices. And I've seen a lot of parents give up on their children because of choices they've made. But if we just stop and have faith in God and trust him, you never know what's happening who your child is associating with or something that's said to him one day that prompts him to think something he never thought before. But know that God cares about each of us individually. Yeah. I think that comes down to something I think that Pastor Hale said about navigating the needs of others in the ministry. And I think that that kind of does apply to our own lives. I mean, I'm not a parent. I'm a college student. But I think that I think that I can see both in my own life and then dealing with other people when people want to get involved and want to help. Sometimes that isn't what our God wants us to do. Sometimes that isn't what's best for that person. And I think that I really could tell from this interview that both Pastor Hale and Denise Hale really have this developed sense of being able to kind of pull themselves out of the situation and to leave it on God and to say, I'm going to do what you want me to do and I'm going to help these people because I I want to, I know you want me to help them, so show me how. And I think that that's really hard because it involves our pride. We, we want to be able to help and we want to sit there and be able to fix things and do things for people, but sometimes that's not what we need to do. Sometimes the needs of others are not for us to come in and swoop in and say, I think you're doing things wrong because... Uh, who are we to say that they're doing things wrong? Who are we to do anything but love them? And I, that was a really, really fascinating part of this interview for me was just this sense throughout the entire thing that they put their whole faith in God and gave their lives up to him. And I think that's not a thing that you find a lot of people doing, even people that are religious, that they sit there and consciously are like, I'm going to pull myself out of this equation and I'm going to do whatever I feel like God wants me to do. Yeah, they'll think like they have to have the answer for everyone. There's something actually liberating about turning it over to God. Mm -hmm. You don't have to come up with all of the answers yourself. You don't have to be the savior of the world. Yeah. We have someone who does it, but did that. (laughs) But but even even before they learned these things in their life, I loved all the backstories about how how God was active in their lives before they even knew about it. Mm. You know, the fact that, you know, one got connected with uh, uh, Operation Mobilization separately and then the other did and then they met through that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being from the United States and from the Netherlands and, you know, and, and trying to figure out the, the pen pal thing. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. All, all, the, all the maneuverings that God does in our lives – I think that's a cause to trust in God. I'm glad you mentioned that. I see God as a master weaver. If you think of a of, of, of a carpet, you have threads that come one direction vertically and others that come another direction horizontally. And at some point, every thread hits every other thread. And I just feel like the Lord weaves, helps us in, in weaving our paths so that we interact 
or intersect with people that we really need at the time we really need them. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that in your life, Pastor? Yeah, Mike? but I, yeah, but but I want to see the finished product. <laughs> you know, <laughs> see, yeah. first, if, I, if if you look if you look on the reverse side of those weavings, you go, it's a mess. It's a total mess. That's true. You know, I I want to I want to see the you know when it's all done and beautiful. You know, <laughs> and I think that that I think. Pastor Hale is awesome, just saying. And I think that as he, he's, he was talking about um, this building that he has to take care of that's older, and he's like always working, working, working. And and I don't know if he said this, but, you know, sometimes you are trying to do what the Lord wants you to do, and you're like, it's not working. Why isn't it working? And and then we come to that weaving idea that, that we try something, we try to exercise faith and, and do something and then it doesn't work, and we're like, why? Um, getting for me, um, I was became an indexer in the back of books, and I learned about this like 15 years ago. And the, this friend told me about it, and it was really cool, and I was excited about it, and I got the the course to to get it finished, you know, to learn how to do this indexing. And um, but then I'm like, I can't do this. I have four little children. I'm trying to homeschool. I'm ex- I can't do this. I can't do deadlines right now. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, why? Why did I feel inspired to do this when it's really not what Heavenly Father's plan is for me right now? And so I was always puzzled about that. And then years later, when they're all grown up, I'm like, oh, hey, I still have that book. I could still study how to do that. And that doing that is what ultimately got me the job that I have here. And I'm like, it took 15 years for this beautiful plan that Heavenly Father has to manifest itself. And and I think that, um, that uh, Michael Hale, he's just doing a great job of, of loving the Lord and trusting that what's, you know, this hard thing he's going to make it through and, and it will work out, <laughs> even though it may not feel like it at the time. I think when he talked about implementing, I mean, that's that had been his life style up to that point, his his view of things. You, know, you grab hold of whatever it is and you go for it. You just make use of it. You, you, you know, um, and and happily, I think he's reversed that. You know, God is the one who implements things, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and we get to receive that as a gift. You know, when you said all good things from, come from God, there is a, a wonderful New Testament Verse that says, you know, yeah. all good gifts come from the Father of Lights above. Um, you know, because when you learn that, then you say, okay, Lord, what are you going to implement in my life, rather than how am I going to use you for my advantage or whatever it is? And well, I also think sometimes there's like for me, like there's been an anxiety thing, like I need to do everything right. I've got to, you know, read my scriptures and say my prayers and do this. And so I'm implementing the gospel instead of feeling the love that Heavenly Father has for me. There is so much love there. And if I'm focused on implementing things, I miss that completely. It just goes right over my head and, and I just need to be still and just feel that great love. If I could steer us to the um, accident that he had, I got some very distinct thoughts as I listened to him uh, describe that. I think in each of us, we have an innate need to know why things happen to us. The answer to that all-important question, why? And Pastor Mike was convinced that God saved him miraculously and made me think, what about those people that are not saved? You know, a lot of people – some people will say, well, it was just God's will that they weren't saved. And I think that might be kind of a hollow explanation for some. Uh, and as I thought about it, I thought rather than focus on why 
we take what God has given us, whether it's good or bad, that we just make the most of it. You know, whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, you know, I'm convinced that God does intercede at times, and he certainly has the ability and the desire and, and every will and ability to intercede in lives and change things and save this person's life and maybe not that person. But I've always felt uneasy about that. How do you handle something like with someone who perhaps doesn't have faith in Christ and you tell them, well, it was God's will or it wasn't his will? Well, I think the answer is in Hebrews 11, actually. I love that particular chapter. It talks about all these things that have been done by faith, all the miracles that he did. But at the very end, it talks about how, but some people did not receive that. And it's because he prepared a better thing for them. Mm -hmm. There is, he always has the best thing for you. And I think this was actually, oh, I can't remember her name, but there was a sister in Oregon who was abducted. Um, She was raped and killed. I was serving in a presidency with her sister-in-law and she was like, why is this happening? And I said, and I just turned to Hebrews 11. I'm like, there is some better thing. It may seem horrible, but God loves her and he has prepared some better thing for her so that she will be okay. She will have healing and peace. There's no other place to turn to for that kind of healing and peace than to the Savior. Yeah, there is something in that that part of the interview that Pastor said that I will admit made me a little uneasy. He said that God loved him enough to save him and give him another chance. And I think for folks whose loved one perhaps is not saved, the first question they would ask is, does that mean he didn't love me enough? I think that's something that's— I think that's a pretty resounding no. Certainly, we know the answer is no. I mean, that's how not, do you handle something? Well, like it's, that? that's not to minimize the the the, no. uh, the ugliness of tragedy and the and the the hurt of pain and whatever it is that all of us go through at some level. And you know, more of the some of the more extreme things, you know, are are devastating for a, a whole lifelong. Um, but there there is that's that's where faith. That's the whole idea of faith. You know, mm-hmm. faith is the is is the confidence in that which is not seen yet. Yeah. You know, faith, faith is holding on to, you know, the the promise of that there is there is a better, there is there is more of life, eternal life, um, gracious life, f- a forgiven life. Um, you can go on and on with all of the aspects of of, of faith and religion around the world, um, because without that, well, then we're just stuck in the hopelessness of the fallenness of the world and the ugly things of the world, and who wants to stay there? Right. I sure don't. Right, right. It's like <laughs> seeing the forest from the trees. You know, God yeah. sees the forest, and we're stuck in the trees, and we've got to try to see things through his eyes. I mean, I think that you even saw that in a way because when when Pastor Hale talked about the in-the-moment pain versus the perspective of after, he talked about how in the moment it was a very just simple calling upon Jesus, Whereas afterwards, he felt like it became this this bigger idea of that this was an experience that helped him to come back to God and to really accept God and let God direct his life rather than him trying to direct God in his life. And I think that in a lot of ways, pain or suffering or hardship in any sense in people's lives often brings them to a low point where they do find some greater purpose, whether that is through God or through some other way that people find that pain and that 
that perspective to come together. And I, I thought that that was really fascinating that in the moment it's hard to have perspective, but afterwards, whether it turns out for the better or for the worse, some perspective will come from that eventually. Which is why a, which is why a, a, a program like this is meant to encourage people to think about faith. Where are you? Where's What's been in your life? Um, because frankly, there are many, many people who go through those harsh things in life and don't come up with the solution. They just spiral down right. and stay down for many, many years. And so programs like this or religious communities or certainly as, as a preacher and a teacher, um, you want to encourage people to you know, look, look for the bigger picture because there is more. There is more to see. When I, when I think of struggles, I've come to the understanding that the reason we struggle, one of the reasons that we have struggles is so that we can teach people later who go through the exact same struggles how we overcame it. And I think Pastor's done that. He's, he's living that right now. He had these struggles, uh, a life full of, of experiences, and he's taken the lessons he's learned from them and he's passing them on to his congregation and to the listeners of BYU Broadcasting. I would totally agree with that. I had an experience a couple of months ago where I had someone reach out to me in a moment of pain and I sat back after talking to this person and realized that if I hadn't gone through some really hard, terrible things in my life, that I wouldn't have been able to relate on the level that I could, that I wouldn't have been able to empathize with that person and they wouldn't have known because I wouldn't have had that experience that they could come to me because I had been there too. They would have, wouldn't have felt that safety and felt that community feeling that they needed to feel to open up and to be able to talk about this thing. And so I, I do agree that d the pain also can help us teach and comfort and love others even better. I do want to finish with just one word, Moldova. <laughs> it would be a great question to ask people that, you know, you know, what was your Moldova? Yeah. Ooh. That is a good question. <laughs> That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Pastor Mike Imperio, Ralph Tobias, Teresa Raymond, and Sage Smiley, and especially to Pastor Michael Hale and his wife, Denise, for generously sharing their stories and their faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Where do you listen to In Good Faith? We'd love to know. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. Our student assistant is Lisey Clegg. Our associate producer, Rachel Sherman. I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.